Hello and welcome to Restore Health Talks. My name is Ann Hackman. I'm an integrative nutrition health coach and I specialize in metabolism. I've got my friend and colleague, Dr. Stefania, who is also a health coach and naturopathic medicine doctor. And we are jumping on to do these health talks. Our goal is to empower women to be able to solve the frustrating health problems and better understand what's going on inside their complicated bodies. So we are hopping on to have a discussion today about insulin. So we talk often about hormones. Our last talk was on the topic of cortisol and we're gonna tie it together, keep going with hormones here and have a 20 minute conversation about insulin. We're gonna talk about what it does, how it works in your body, what impacts it, and how we can make sure that our bodies are managing insulin effectively based on our lifestyle choices. So we're gonna dive right in. Steph, insulin, tell us what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, no, no topic about insulin is complete without talking about insulin resistance mm-hmm. um, and its impact on the metabolism. So it, it's very common. Um, even, you know, for people whose blood sugar levels might appear normal on their, uh, lab tests, um, it could still be impacting your metabolic health. So you could still have high insulin, but normal blood sugar levels. Um, and a very common sign of that is weight gain around the middle. And so if you're, you know, seeing that, and it's a very difficult place to lose weight, then it might be something to consider. Um, but it also plays a major role in our long-term health. And so it uh, can increase the risk of many chronic diseases, in particular heart disease. Um, we'll go into why, why that is. Um, so it's, uh, it's a very important hormone uh, and uh, it needs to be um, uh, managed in our body. And, and there's a lot that we can do uh, through our lifestyle and through some very simple tweaks that can optimize that hormone, make sure it's functioning really well and it's doing what it should do in the body and not leading to the development of chronic diseases uh, later in life. One of the reasons I wanted to cover this topic is because oftentimes I'll work with clients and they, they really are, you know, kind of cleaning up their nutrition and um, putting some healthy habits in, yet still struggling with that weight around the midsection, maybe low energy, like there's just these cues their body keeps giving them that makes me realize there's something going on under the hood, right? We're addressing all of the lifestyle issues, but they're there's something going on under the hood. So can you explain like, how does that work in our body and what what goes on under the hood? Yeah, of course. So um, it it might be helpful to start with, um, you know, what insulin is. And it's a hormone. Uh, It's made by the pancreas. Uh, It's an organ in our body that produces um, a variety of hormones and insulin is one of them. And really insulin just acts like a shuttle. Uh, and it helps cells in our body, um, in particular our liver and our muscles, uh, take in sugar from the food that we eat. So we, you know, we, we eat food and blood sugar levels go up, but also insulin goes up because insulin needs to be uh, around to then take the sugar from our blood and deliver it to our muscles to give us energy. So we have this form of energy, but we can't do anything with it unless insulin's there. Mm-hmm. And so people who are insulin resistant will often notice, or they will experience low energy levels because we're not just not delivering that energy to the cells. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a hormonal messenger, just like cortisol. Um, and it's a courier. I just picture it, you know, as this little 
<laughs> mailman or you know courier just you know on a little vespa delivering energy to ourselves uh, and so the, the the issue with insulin resistance is that our we're not delivering that energy to our cells uh, so insulin's around and it might even be hot it often is high but there's no response gotcha so it's, it's yeah. not able to do its job it's not able to do its job and so being insulin sensitive is a good thing because we are responding to it. Our body's sensitive to it. When we're insulin resistant, we're not sensitive. And that's, that's not good. Okay. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I've had clients um, ask me about insulin sensitivity, thinking that it was a negative thing. And um, I just think it's important to point out, like we want to have that sensitivity to it. We want our body to be sensitive, respond to it and do its job when it's present. Um, so just wanted to debunk that. So I'm glad that you brought it up. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, it makes sense that people would be confused about it. It's a lot of terms and, um, you know, insulin is, is a part of it, but it, it, it's, it's a very confusing topic to your point. All right. So, so we've got this hormone, this messenger, I picture, like you said, the little Vespa driving around, right. Delivering this energy to our muscles or our liver. Um, yes. So like, take us through the process. How does it work? Like from the time we eat something, I don't know, take us on the insulin journey, I guess. Yeah, sure. So um, we'll just picture eating a meal. So after we've ingested food, blood sugar levels rise mm -hmm. uh, in response to eating. That signals the release of insulin from the pancreas where it's made. Insulin then stimulates your liver and the muscle cells to take up food energy, uh, glucose, uh, from your blood. And then the cells convert the cells actually have their own metabolic machinery. So then they take that energy and they do their thing and they turn that. And then that basically becomes the energy that we have to, you know, do what we need to do, exercise, live our daily lives. Yeah. Um, and, but after all that is said and done, blood sugar levels and insulin should both fall. Okay. That's, that's healthy, normal response. So we see a rise and a fall an ebb and a flow and that's, that's normal. Um, now, of course, in people who are insulin resistant, insulin levels are high. They remain, they, they're high and they remain high. Um, but that doesn't mean that they are doing that. They're delivering energy because you're resistant. So you can have high insulin levels. And so you would think, oh, okay, well, there's lots of insulin around. But in someone who's got high insulin and they're resistant to it, insulin's just hanging out, blood sugar levels are high and the hormone's not working. So it's not delivering that energy. And so blood sugar just stays elevated um, and insulin levels are high. So in that, pick, in that, in that scenario, you would see blood sugar levels elevated, mm -hmm. um, but that's not always the case. It just kind of depends on um, when you're testing and it depends um, how long somebody is insulin resistant. So for a while, you might see blood sugar levels normal, but insulin levels high. And then at a certain point, both will be high. So both would be high because the insulin can't do its job properly. So the blood has this sugar hanging around in it, this sticky, gooey, sugary substance hanging around yes. in it. Yes. Very. And it's very damaging to blood vessels. And this is where we see the increased risk of chronic disease, like heart disease, because our, those, those blood vessels become uh, damage from all that sugar. This is why people with diabetes have vision problems, blindness, all of these very delicate, small blood vessels get damaged that contributes or leads to atherosclerosis 
and then we're predisposed to a heart event. So we see the in dementia, um, a variety of, of health conditions are increased because of the damage to those blood vessels, kidney uh, damage, so renal disease. So there's, there's a lot of um, bad consequences to sugar hanging out in the body, uh, in the blood, not getting delivered to the cells. Let me make sure, just for my sake even, um, I, I just want to kind of tease out the difference between um, your amount of insulin and your blood sugar level. Like they're a little bit two separate things, right? I think, I think sometimes we think that, um, I don't know, that it's all one thing. So can you kind of explain the two different pieces? I, I don't even know if I'm asking a good question here. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I think what you're, what you're trying to understand is, you know, we have these two, we we've got blood sugar, um, which is a, the, the energy that we get from food. So we have a whole separate, you know, metabolic process that turns the food we eat into energy or glucose, but then, um, we need a shuttle. We need a transporter to take that energy and that's what, and, and to deliver it to the cells so that we can actually use that energy. Uh, and insulin is that transport. So our body has a separate set of metabolic pathways that turn food we eat into energy that our body can utilize, but the cells have to get that energy and insulin brings it to the cells to use. So it doesn't mean that insulin levels and blood sugar levels always um, are either both healthy or both unhealthy. Like they can operate independent from each other and they both need to be tested the typically what will happen is blood sugar will get tested first. So a fasting blood sugar or a random blood sugar will get tested first. And if that's normal, typically that's the end of the road. Mm -hmm. So, um, the investigation for a fasting insulin, uh, to look at, you know, what's happening there will usually be triggered when blood sugar levels are high. However, we, we, we know that there are people with high insulin levels, but normal blood sugar. Mm -hmm. And so we really need to be looking at what the hormone insulin is doing. If we suspect that somebody is insulin resistant, because we don't want it to get to that point where we see high blood sugar and high insulin, we want to catch this and address it before the problem becomes so bad that both are elevated. So there are some signs or uh, symptoms that could cue us to look at insulin, even when blood sugar levels are normal and just kind of catch this before that, um, before it leads to a more serious, like hormonal imbalance and, um, metabolic dysfunction. Um, take us and again, signs and yeah. symptoms. like take us through what to look for, because I, I think oftentimes we'll go to the doctor, we'll, we'll have a, a fasting glucose what? test, right. And, yeah. and then that's it. So but we're still having symptoms. So what symptoms would make us go back to our doctor and say, well, wait, can we check insulin? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so signs of insulin resistance could include weight gain, um, or difficulty losing weight in the upper body around the middle, uh, skin tags are another one. Hmm. Um, yeah, I know it's, it's not, Oh, now I, I must say, just because you have skin tags does not mean that you have insulin resistance. It should just be a sign, um, uh, as well as darkening of the skin, uh, places like the armpits and the neck. Um, so it's, and it is possible to have insulin resistance without any of these signs, but 
if you're having those and your blood sugar is normal, let's say, then that would be a really good indication to say to your doc, Hey, like, do you think we could test my insulin? I think something might be going on here. Um, and then you'll be one step, you know, ahead uh, of managing that. So I do think that that's helpful. And then of course, there are other biomarkers that you could test even uh, before you look at insulin. So sometimes people's blood, um, their uh, lipids, mm. so cholesterol um, in particular will, and, and triglycerides will go up and okay. that could be a sign of insulin resistance. So treating the high cholesterol or the high triglycerides is really a matter of addressing insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, it, it feels complicated, right? And, and that's why I want to be able to have this conversation because I want women to be able to be their own right medical advocate and know what yeah. to ask their doctor for. Um, and I guess what I'm experiencing in my health coaching practice is... Um, I don't know. Um, the testing just doesn't go quite far enough to get a, a really full picture. Yes, we have to practice lifestyle habits that will support healthy blood sugar levels and um, healthy insulin. But sometimes we can be doing all the things right and still have all these symptoms. And um, mm-hmm. I just... I don't know. It's, it's, I just feel so passionate about helping women take it one step further and really figuring out what's going on in their body. Mm-hmm. So how, how does, how does this happen? How do we start becoming insulin resistant? What, what, how, what goes on? Yeah, that's a really good next question. Um, what causes insulin resistance in the first place? So the answer is lots of things, um, or rather lots of metabolic insults we could call them. Uh, so energy excess, just eating too much is a big one. Metabolic insults. So like things that we do that like throw a dart at our metabolism. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and to be fair, some of these things we could have a higher threshold to when we're younger, but then our hormones shift as we get older. And now all of a sudden the protection of those hormones is no longer there. So we become less insulin sensitive. And now we're already predisposed to these metabolic insults. Yeah. That's why I could eat a half of a pizza when I was 28 and not have an issue. But when I'm 54, not so much. Right. We just have to be a little bit more uh, careful with um, uh, less liberal, maybe with those, with those uh, indulgences. Um, Doesn't mean we can't have them. Right. But our bodies are different now that we're perimenopause, menopause, our hormones have shifted. Everything works a little differently. And, um, Got it. you have to, yep. make to yeah, especially, you know, estrogen is a hormone that supports insulin sensitivity. And so, as you can imagine, like in our reproductive years, we have a lot of estrogen around. And so we we've got that buffer mm-hmm. and then, you know, uh, and during perimenopause is very different because estrogen levels can be quite high, but afterwards, estrogen levels are very, very low. And so we don't have that buffer anymore. So we do have to be a bit more cognizant of what we're eating and how we're eating, you know, and, and certainly how active, you know, we are, because the more active we are, the more insulin sensitive we can be. So we can kind of, um, create a little bit of a buffer by moving our bodies more by, by, um, adding more muscle mass and I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Uh, yeah, go, go back to the darts. go back, go back to the darts. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what, so overeating is, is definitely one of, especially eating, uh, ultra processed foods. Um, uh, but also, you know, our environment can have a lot of, I'm going to say the word toxins or toxicants that can affect the metabolism. And th- these aren't things that are very easy for us to control though, because they're part of our environment. We can't really do much about them, but just know that the environment does play a role. Uh, medications can affect our metabolism and, and of course diet circadian rhythm disruption. So, um, uh, not sleeping, uh, not honoring our light and dark, um, cycle. So exposing ourselves to light during the day and then reducing light in the evening that can support the circadian rhythm. So when that's out of whack, Mm -hmm. then that can affect insulin levels as well. Uh, sarcopenia, which is a condition of, uh, um, low muscle mass and strength Mm -hmm. that lowers our sensitivity to insulin nutrient deficiencies, um, chronic inflammation that might be coming from the gut or other places, maybe someone's in, you know, has chronic pain, uh, lots of places or another, uh, condition that would be contributing and causing inflammation in the body, um, and, and gut issues. Like those are the big ones. So when you talk about all these, um, all these things that kind of, you know, attack our metabolism or throw a dart at it, make it not work so well. I hear, I hear a lot of things that we can have a positive impact towards, right? That lifestyle choices and maybe small shifts could help us improve the situation. Absolutely. A hundred percent. There are some things that won't be fully in our control, Mm -hmm. um, but a lot is, a lot of it is. And life stuff, like, like all we can control are the things we actually have control over, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. So diet is a big one. Um, what we eat in particular. So, you know, when insulin resistance is the condition of having, you know, elevated insulin, um, but in combination with our body, not responding well to it. So if we could lower the amount of insulin by not eating foods that stimulate it, Mm -hmm. then we're already, you know, addressing part of that picture. Mm -hmm. So keeping, uh, eating in such a way that wouldn't necessarily promote really high levels of blood sugar, uh, or spike our blood sugar is going to mean that we don't have to be pumping out as much insulin. Um, and so looking at the composition of the diet and really trying to, I would say the biggest impact we could make from a carbohydrate perspective is reducing the amount of fructose that we consume. So, you know, I'm not worried about yams. Yeah. Talk about that. Let's talk about that. The, the, foods that impact, right. Our blood sugar level and, and our insulin. Um, you know, I feel like carbs, everybody goes to carbs right away. Right. The, the, the word on the street is that carbs turn into sugar right away. Um, so yes, carbs do convert quickly into glucose that can be used for energy. Right. Yeah. But, um, I guess let's, let's talk about that because there's a difference in the types of sugars, right. Definitely. So t- tell us a little bit more, break it out because I, w- I want my clients to know that they can eat an apple, uh, and not yeah. Talk about this. Yeah. 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 So, so sugar, uh, we'll talk about sugar or more specifically fructose, uh, will impact insulin sensitivity. So it will impair it more significantly than any other food. Um, and also it just really throws our biofeedback at a check. So hunger cravings, um, but 
you know, when I, when I say that it's, it really depends on the amount you consume. Um, so the small amount in like a whole fresh fruit, like an apple, I'm not worried about that. Um, but it's the large amount of fructose and fruit juices and like dried fruits, like concentrated, um, or, or like the amount that's added, um, in like fructose corn, um, uh, syrup or sweet things, um, candies, uh, fruit juices, pop, um, chocolate bars, like all the, all the tasty treats, um, <laughs> desserts. Could we look for high fructose corn syrup, right? Whether it's, uh, baked goods, cereals, granola bars, anything that's packaged yes. or processed, um, yes. is going to have a lot more of that high fructose corn syrup. So it's, it's not really, I guess I just want to get that message out there, right? It's not really a terrible thing to eat a darn sweet potato, not even a regular potato, right? Um, those things aren't, aren't necessarily the culprit. If we look at getting the high fructose out of there, that's going to be the first place to start, not give up the oatmeal or the sweet potato or even the white potato. Exactly. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, we're, we're talking, we're not really talking about somebody who has type two diabetes or anything like we're talking about, uh, somebody who potentially has some, has insulin resistance, you know, and lab work may or may not support that right now. So, you know, how do we have the biggest impact through diet? The first place that I would, um, hone in on would be reducing or limiting fructose consumption way before I would take out a potato. Yeah. You know, so if you had a choice between eliminating sugar, like, uh, sorry, breakfast cereals, sweetened yogurts and dessert over your potatoes, I would, I would choose all the, um, high fructose corn syrup and, and ultra processed foods first before, before our starchy veg. Gotcha. Tell me a little bit about, um, just, you know, when I, the, 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 I think about, I think about with clients, a couple different um, components of their nutrition. One of them is meal timing. One of them is the meal contents, right? And so if you're finding yourself having issues um, with insulin resistance, tell me a little bit about what you would recommend as far as the meal makeup and the meal timing. And mm -hmm. of course, like the overnight fasting window, those are kind of the three things that I like to have clients understand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so a couple of things would be supportive, uh, for, from a timing perspective, this would really depend on, um, how somebody responds between meals, like how long, um, between meals, uh, people can go without their blood sugar crashing. So for some people, especially if they're just starting out to make some changes, they might not be able to go three, four, five, six hours between meals, even if that's ideal for managing blood sugar and lowering insulin. If that is not feasible because of these blood sugar, um, crashes that make people feel tired, they make, they, they will make you feel down. They will stimulate hunger cravings. Like we don't really want that. So eating more frequently and maybe reducing that eating window by 45 minutes at a time could be helpful. So the, the timing is the frequency is important, but it really depends on the person and how well they're managing their blood sugar between meals. So that goes back to paying attention to biofeedback. So checking in with our hunger, our energy, our cravings, our mood, whether we're tired or not, um, those biofeedback markers are going to let us know that, you know, they're happening for a reason, right? Yeah. So yeah. stabilizing the blood sugar is the best thing we can do. 
It's yes. Leading with things, yes. protein and vegetables and healthy yes. fat each time we yes. eat. And then yes. I guess what I'm hearing you say about the timing is let's just say you were eating three meals a day and you were mm -hmm. eating plenty of protein and a lot of veggies and you were really being, you know, mindful about not putting too many carbohydrates in there, eating healthy fats. And you still felt like between lunch and dinner at three o'clock, your mood crashed, your energy level crashed, you were grumpy, whatever. Then, then we're going to stick another mini meal or snack in there to stabilize that blood sugar. Yeah. I, I think that would be a really great approach. And I think it would prevent sort of the, the, the comp that compensation effect that could lead to poor choices later. And, and that's kind of the, that might play more into the psychology of the individual where someone might be able to, to tolerate that discomfort. And then at their next meal, they would just carry on and eat as they would have anyways, as opposed to like, they just have a higher threshold for that discomfort. And so they can sit with it. And another person might hit four o'clock an hour after that crash in energy or mood and then really just uh the, eat a whole bag of chips and i'm talking from a personal example because that's what i would do <laughs> it's called the witching hour i would say myself and most of my clients if we if we ignore that hunger that true hunger not just a craving if we ignore that hunger at four o'clock we're standing in front of the fridge just yeah. grabbing mm -hmm. things, right so we want to avoid that we want to avoid that. And then really, so in that circumstance, it's like, what was better to prevent that, you know, or, um, you know, what I'm saying is that in, in that particular circumstance, based on the psychology of that individual and their biofeedback, eating a meal between lunch and dinner is going to be better um, than not eating anything and trying to optimize that fasting window when it's just not working for their um physiology right now now maybe a month you know into to these dietary changes they might be able to go between lunch and dinner without anything and feel fine but um, meal timing is important but also the composition of the food and certainly these things can be optimized and improved over time but starting with small steps that are um, something that can be consistent and keeping blood sugar levels in check between meals is going to be a really good first step um, tell me how movement can impact our blood sugar levels. I know, you know, we just talked about nutrition. Movement is just such a really important piece of this. Tell, tell me a little bit about how that works. Yeah, well, moving our body, um, you know, just through walking or activities of daily living is important, but also building muscle. And both really moving our body sensitizes our muscles to insulin. So we actually become more insulin sensitive when we move. The muscles are able to take in more energy. And so that means less sugar is floating around in our blood. Um, but also the insulin is in a better, it's been, it's being sensitized to do its job. So if you're in a place where you're, you know, trending towards being insulin resistance and that hormone isn't working as well. And you've got blood sugar around, and then you move your body, all of a sudden you've created the conditions to support insulin doing its job and you're lowering the amount of blood sugar in your blood. So moving really optimizes like both sides of that. So it's lowering the blood sugar because it's helping insulin. It's sensitizing insulin. So it can do its job of lowering the blood sugar in, in, in the blood. 
by delivering that energy because we need it. We're walking. We need the energy, right? So um, we we got it. We got to use it up. Walking, 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 walking. Yes, exactly. So avoiding or reducing the consumption of you know refined foods, um, in particular, simple sugars and processed foods is key. Um, figuring out whatever meal timing you need to stabilize blood sugars will be really important, mostly for preventing those metabolic compensation reactions. Mm-hmm. And then it really, the, I think the main reason would be because those choice, those food choices we make in that moment are not going to help be helpful, you know, um, and then uh, eating enough uh, protein, right? Because we, we, we want to be able to, um, especially if we're trying to build muscle at the same time, which is a very metabolically active tissue. So that's going to be supportive of insulin sensitivity as well. We want to be able to provide the, um, the, 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 um, amino acids to support the, um, production of, of, uh, of muscle in the body as well. So we need to provide the, um, I want, I want, there's a word that I'm looking for. We just need the nutrients to, to support that. Um, Especially at, you know, at my age in menopause, right? I mean, we're, I'm, I'm losing little bits of, of muscle every year. So um, I feel like I find that resistance training is a really key component for me to keep my muscles, I guess you'd call it metabolically, metabolically active, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, yep. So building muscle and making sure that we're eating in such a way to support, um, building of muscle. And then, um, I think those are the, you know, of course we can get into like gut health and lowering inflammation. Um, but if we're talking about like big rocks, the big rocks are really going to be like what we eat, you know, how we're eating and moving our body. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you, you did, and you also asked about the circadian rhythm and maybe like eating more in alignment with, uh, that natural circadian rhythm, which be, which would be eat when it's light out. Don't eat when it's dark. Like that's probably the simplest way to put it. Cause that's, that's also going to be supportive of our, of our hormones. And, um, uh, typically the metabolism is much more, um, active during the day than it is at nighttime. And so we're going to make better use of our nutrients and all of these hormones that support the metabolism are going to be, um, just more active during the daytime. So I would say eat with, eat with, uh, yeah, just honor that, that the circadian rhythm when it comes to when you're eating and when you're fasting. So, you know, what it just really struck me, Stefania is, um, I think that what, what I hear from people who are looking for support, um, with their metabolic health is that, um, they think that there are these hard, fast rules, right? Like we have to do this, like, this is the only way to do this, like, like a strict diet, like keto, right? Like this is the only way to, to Mm. lose weight. Um, when I hear you talk, Stefania, it's empowering because it reminds me that the the reason that we want to do things, like we want to support our circadian rhythm. It's not like some diet or like, because someone said so, or it it, it has Mm. nothing do with any of that if we understand the way our body works and what it actually needs we'll be making these choices of when we eat and how we eat and what we eat just simply to support our our health because we understand the way our body works mm-hmm. that makes sense. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point is that we're, we're not just chasing this outcome of let's say losing weight around the tummy. Right. We're trying to optimize our metabolism based on all these different factors that influence it. And so light and dark influences, sleep influences it, how we eat influences it, stress levels, um, all of this stuff is impacting it. So, you know, how do we adjust our environment? Um, how do we create a way of being that is supportive of our metabolism so that it can take care of itself essentially? So instead of us trying to lose tummy fat, how do we create the, the metabolic conditions in our body so that, so that it takes care of that for us? Um, and so what do we need to do? Of course, we can't remove ourselves from the picture. Like, you know, we have to be the ones going out for walks and timing our meals and um, listening to our biofeedback and getting good quality sleep. And if we can't, then certainly um, taking naps during the day, whatever we need to do um, to address the big rocks and support and prime our environment so that we are in the best metabolic health that we can be. And also considering the life stage that we're at and what our hormones are at at that time. Um, And so there's, there's so much that we can do. We have a lot of tools in our toolbox And so to your point, just understanding, you know, what are those modifiable variables and what do I, which ones do I need to um, turn and what levers do I need to pull? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is very individual, but, you know, this type of information allows people to know what those are and to play with them and then listen to their biofeedback and, and see how they respond to them. Super insightful. Thank you so much, Stefania. I am so hopeful that our conversations just inspire women to dig deep, look under the hood, understand what's going on in their body, uh, especially understand their hormones um, as they get older and how our lifestyle choices and um, just what we do every day impact our health and how our hormones impact it. Um, I'm just super grateful for you. Any last thoughts on insulin? Insulin. <sighs> well, I, I would just say that if, if this was something that, um, you sus- anybody suspected was, was going on and, you know, their like I said, their blood sugar levels were normal, but they still thought, you know, maybe something might be going on. It's worthwhile to just, you know, have a very honest, open conversation with your doc and just say like, I really like to see a fasting insulin worst case scenario they say no. And then maybe you you're able to pay out of pocket for it or whatever the next step might be. Typically doctors, like if they really feel like you're coming from a a place of concern and um, you know, if you're bringing up some of the, the cues or signs that this might be going on, they can probably work with you. And then at least you have, you know, some, some answers for what might be going on under the hood. And if not, then certainly all the stuff we mentioned is going to be helpful for restoring metabolic function uh, and, and bringing you to a place of having a, you know, a healthier body, a healthier mind anyways. So even if you couldn't get that testing done or you didn't want to, um, but you were noticing that you were feeling sluggish or you had low energy or you're noticing weight that's difficult to lose, maybe you have some skin tags, like all of these things and you're thinking maybe this is going on, everything we discussed is going to restore your metabolic function. Um, to a healthy, balanced place and and you'll feel better because of it. So it's a win-win. Yeah, I think three things, get up and move, right? Move our muscles, get up and walk. Yep. Stay Mm -hmm. away from things that are packed full of high fructose corn syrup and eat 
just healthy, whole natural foods lead with protein and veggies and mm -hmm. fiber, a little bit yes. of healthy fat um, would yep. be the top. Yeah. Get some sleep. Yeah, and get some good quality sleep. Yeah. And just find a, a eating frequency that keeps blood sugar levels balanced. Uh, keeps you, keeps your biofeedback in a, in a good place. Um, and then if you can build some muscle, yeah, you know, lift some heavy weights, build some muscle. Um, that's going to be really, really helpful, um, for preventing a lot, a number of age-related diseases down the road. Um, it might be one of the best, uh, tools we have, um, in, in, in our, in our toolbox is, is, is exercise and, and building some, some muscle. Absolutely. All right, so if you're listening to this and you want help with that, um, you can connect with Dr. Stefania if you wanna do a little bit more digging under the hood and learn more about what's going on inside of your body. You can connect with Dr. Stefania. There'll be a link below where you can set up a discovery call with her. And then I have the six week restore group health coaching program, which really unpacks all of these principles around nutrition, movement, monitoring your biofeedback, like stress, sleep, hunger, energy cravings. Um, it's a six week course that just takes you through the process of restoring your metabolism. So there'll be a link below for that. All right. So thankful for your time and Thanks, Dr. Steph. Hope everybody has an awesome day. Thank you.